I didn't come up with like a bit to start, but I could just sing that some more, eh? Perfect. The only song used more than various pieces from Labo M in this movie. <laughs> Which you don't sing that. It's fine. That'd be tough. It's mostly instrumental and then it's opera. And then you're exactly. like, and then that's just above me at a certain point. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll get into it in a second. Okay. I don't know how to start the podcast, as you know, so it'll either be that or something along the lines of Welcome to the Movies. My name is Ben Holton. This is a podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots. Each week, we'll pick a film that either I or a guest hadn't seen before and really should have by now. This week, continuing rom-com month strikes back our third episode in four weeks because I was out sick one week and didn't have a voice for 10 solid days, but oh well. Life goes on. Uh <laughs> We're doing an, an, an all-time classic, one that we've been circling for a while, and one that our guest today, I think this is one of your favorite movies? Yes, absolutely. Uh, very excited to talk about. Um, the movie is Moonstruck, and the guest, the left to right across your podcast side, we got Martha. Hello. Hello, and I'm excited because this is our first episode. I meant to look up the last one I had done in person, um, but you can just go back and listen to a few seconds and see which one doesn't sound terrible, mic quality wise, and, and that's probably the last one that was it's in probably person. probably the one we did at Greg and Ray's house. It might have been. <laughs> like <laughs> like over ago. summer. Yeah, yeah. No, I, we, it's, once it got colder, and then if, if, if you're a listener and you're in the Providence area, um, our friend group's pretty evenly split on either side of the Washington Bridge, and that's made it difficult for us to meet up a little bit. Wow. <laughs> But another situation in which life goes on. So um, before we get into the movie, which I am really excited to talk about, Martha, have you seen anything good lately? I know you've been catching up on some Oscar movies. Yeah. So husband and I have been doing Oscar movies and the latest and greatest one we just watched was American Fiction. We saw it in theaters and... I'd say I think it's the third or fourth Oscar nominated for best picture movie we've seen and is right now my favorite. Loved it. Um, I know you've seen Maestro also. Loved Maestro. Barbie, I think you've... Oh, maybe I've seen more than. So I've seen Maestro, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, American Fiction. There was one other, Holdovers. Okay. It's a good... That's a solid crop. Right? Yeah, pretty solid. And there were... All all fantastic in their own way. American fiction was probably, I don't know, it just felt like a classic to me. Like that one, it's just, it's it's timeless. It's yeah. hysterical. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Um, okay. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into that with you. Yeah, I'm going to watch it this week. It's, um, I think it's Cord Jefferson's first movie, but an extremely prominent writer before switching to films. And um, Jeffrey Wright, who stars in it, I've only ever seen in supporting roles or like sometimes very big supporting roles like on Westworld. Um, he's been in the last couple of Wes Anderson movies, yeah. which are more ensemble pieces anyway. But uh, I mean, he's an amazing actor. But what's interesting about the movie was that there was just so many different avenues. Like this, it was a very clear story. There was never like any confusion with it whatsoever, but there were so many different angles of the movie that you could really analyze. Like the fact that, um, you know, writer, like, you know, just like frustrated career or like really messed up family, even just being a prominent black family in Boston, you know, has there's like on paper has everything together, but then you dive into the stories of each character and you're like, Oh wow. And you're only scratching the surface of each family member. And honestly, every single family member I could have dived into more. Um, just like all of them okay. wanted, like it, you just wanted more from all of them yeah. in a really good way. So I was going to say, based on that description pairs pretty well with Moonstruck. Too. <laughs> yeah, actually I didn't even think about that, but yeah, very similar in some ways. <laughs> and was, is it funny? Looks like it, yeah, but okay. like there. You say it doesn't a, look like uproarious, but the like trailers make it look okay. Gotcha. Satire. So like, you know, you're definitely laughing at the jokes that it's making on society, um, but the jokes were had very prominent points to them. Uh, yeah. So, and it's funny. Some of the points that the movie made are like conversations I've heard at work, and they're conversations I've heard like in person about like white wokeness and 
like it's kind of doing like a satire on white wokeness basically. Um, so just very, very funny. Um, and just really well done. And it's all, it's all based in Boston and then some of it's based on the Cape too. So that part's kind of cool too. And like, there's a very clear like Dunkin' Donuts, like advertising. So like little things like that were like, Oh, that's kind of cool. So it's good. Um, so you say that's your favorite of the crop of Oscar nominees you've seen? I think so. so I think so. What's your favorite right now? Well, that answer's changed since the last time I recorded a podcast because I watched two pretty big blind spots since the last time I recorded. And I was extremely ready to come on and say that my favorite of this year of the Oscar nominees that I've watched so far is far and away past lives. And I, I loved it so much. It is really? amazing. Okay. It is so good, and it is most everything that I want from movies. All right. Um, so structurally, if you don't know that much about it, it's uh, Greta Lee, who I mostly have ever seen as usually a supporting character in comedies, um, but it's not that funny. It's a dramatic movie. She plays the same character in a couple different time periods, but the movie starts with um, these two characters when they're 12 in South Korea. and yeah. I've been wanting to see this one. And they're friends, um, but then Grilly's character um, immigrates with her family to America, and like that friendship fractures. Twelve years later, through the power of Facebook, um, the boy reaches out, and you know they reconnect, and then they're just sort of like video chatting for a while, and then that like peters out for whatever reason, and then twelve years later. In their mid thirties, they they meet up actually in person um, for the first time since they were kids, um, and that's sort of like so cool. it doesn't exactly line up to like Act One, Act Two, Act Three, but it it like kind of does. Mm. But the the third part of it, them meeting up in New York in their thirties, is sort of the biggest piece of the movie. Um, so satisfying, I'm sure. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's uh, another. I mean, like Gord Jefferson, another de- directorial debut. This is from Celine Song, who also a prominent writer and, and a playwright. Um, and it does this kind of amazing thing where the structure of it and the writerliness of it and the precision of the script is in less deft hands would probably threaten to kind of overtake the emotionality of the movie. Mm. Um, but it never does. It's like so nuanced and so played so well. And, um, I'm kind of talking about the almost like forensic level of it because I don't want to talk about the plot too much uh, aside just from saying like the performances are amazing and it's kind of just worth watching. Right. You know, it's, um, yeah, I just love it. It works pretty well with this month that we've been doing. It's not a comedy, but it is quite romantic, I'd say. And not necessarily like, um, you know, goofily romantic, like some yeah. movies. Um, like Moonstruck. But a movie like about romance, okay. which is always a little bit more compelling to me than just sort of like a, a sort of throwaway, just kind of like, you know, not that Moonstruck is, but like a sort of lower level, the kind of rom-coms that get me now. Yeah. You should watch it. If you're listening, you should watch it. Right before finishing less than an hour before I got to your house, I made... The wild choice after watching Moonstruck today to watch The Zone of Interest, uh, Jonathan Glazer's new film, which has put me in a strange headspace to talk about romance and comedy. Um, Because that film, if you don't know, uh, that's the new Jonathan Glazer film. He's a British (laughs) filmmaker. He made Under the Skin, which is great. Scarlett Johansson in the English countryside eating good dudes. And um, so it's about about the domestic life of... uh, um, this man and his wife and um, sort of like the, the home life that they have. Um, and it just so happens that his job is he's the commandant of Auschwitz. Mm. Um, and so it's about that. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the sound design in the movie is incredible. If you can see it in theaters, absolutely worth it. Really, You know, recency bias or whatever, but it is, I always think of, uh, I think it's a Peter Travers review for Rolling Stone about the Dark Knight, the the Batman movie, yeah. The Dark Knight, where the subhead, and I don't even know if Peter Travers writes the subheads on his articles, <laughs> um, or if he was doing so in 2007 when the movie came out, or right. yeah, 2007, right? Um, 
but it was like the most hyped I've ever been about a movie because it was like, you know, the dark Knight is good. And then the subhead was like a lightning bolt is about to strike the summer movie season. Mm. Um, and I always think of like a lightning bolt of a movie. And this is to me, a lightning bolt of a movie. Uh, yeah. it is jarring. It's not like a fun hang. Um, in the chat, uh, the movies <laughs> that I referenced were, uh, a pitch upon where a uh, memoria from a couple of years ago, just in terms of pacing and like the nature photography of it. Um, and then the, the visual language reminded me like in the way that they shoot the house that these people live in makes it look like a combination of Wes Anderson and a, like uh, German expressionism. I was thinking of moonrise kingdom and the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is like the main visual things I was getting from the way they were shooting the house. So oh, I have to see um, this one. Anyway, uh, so that's weird headspace. Yeah. And I mean, obviously subject matter. It's subject uh, matter. Definitely. I think in the, in the thread, yeah. Greg said, it's like the most upset a movie's made him <laughs> that he thinks maybe ever. Um, so that says a lot actually. Yeah. And he doesn't get upset. With that said, I will do my best to talk about um, an on-its-surface pretty delightful movie that I think does have an undergirding of sort of aching and despair in it a little bit. A little. Yeah. You know, in a really interesting way. A, a, nice, a nice frisson of uh, what promises mean. Right. With the people in your life. Yeah. And um, what breaking that can look like. And I don't know. It's not the main part of the movie. No, but that's but there's never like an act not of forgiveness present. in there too. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And like different versions of commitment, I guess. Yes. Um. Anyway, I thought this movie was wonderful. I hadn't seen it before. Moonrise, uh, moon, not Moonrise, Moonstruck. That's what like, we're talking wait, about. Wait, what? I can't believe you. This is. I can't believe that this has been your first time seeing this yeah. movie. So I grew Ooh, up. We wouldn't be doing this podcast. It's true. Um, so this was a movie that like I grew up with. It was like yeah. uh, like my parent, like one of my parents' favorites. Um, it was like the hit before my big fat Greek wedding, pretty much. Like a movie that owes a lot to this movie. Exactly. For sure. Right. Um, um, yeah, and so I I feel like. Um, I feel like there was just, there's, I don't know why it became such a favorite, but I think, you know, family loves opera, you know, I think just like it being a classic, there's so many good one-liners in this that really stand out. Um, yeah, so good. In the criterion, uh, box for this is an essay by, uh, Emily St. James, who I've mentioned before as one of my favorite culture writers, critics, um, that talks about the kind of binaries that are set up in the movie and how kind of it keeps returning to death. Um, yes. and the opening sequence is, is both at night and at daytime, um, around New York, but mostly in this, uh, Carroll Gardens neighborhood of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, and this sort of Italian American conclave that has its own thing going on, yep. um, that feels so vibrant, um, and like, you, yeah. you know, if the cameras weren't on, these are the routines that are happening. You, you get that impression. And, um, you know, speaking of binaries, the, the ultimate one, the movie is obsessed with death and people keep being, you know, why, why, why are men like this? Cause they're afraid of death. Yeah. And the very, uh, you know, the opening sequence ends on directed by Norman Jewison projected over a corpse in, in a funeral home. Yep. Um, Norman Jewison died about a month ago today. And, um, so that was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let's get into it. Uh, yeah. A big, a big, big director in the heat of the night. Um, the film version of Fiddler on the Roof were probably the two main pulls besides this for him. Um, I like this more than those movies though. <laughs> yeah. And I can't believe the timing. Like you, we, we talked about this a few months ago. Yeah. So timing was perfect. Yeah. Um, you mentioned all the good one-liners. The writer, John Patrick Shanley is, uh, a play, a really prominent playwright. And he won best screenplay yes. for this. Yeah. Yes, he did. Um, for like real, I don't know. I mean, he got also nominated for a bunch of stuff. Doubt was one of his first, to, first on stage, won a bunch of Tonys. Then yeah. 
got nominated for a bunch of Oscars as the Meryl Streep, Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. Made an opera. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Normally, we start with a one-minute plot summary. You, you want to do one? You want me to do one? It's weird. I, I feel all off balance because I you normally have headphones. and that's Well, who usually does it? Is it the person who's never seen it before? Uh, no rules, just vibes. If you want to, if you want to do one, I can too. It's fine. I can, I can whip one out. Um, okay. all right. So, as Ben said, it's about an Italian American family that lives in Brooklyn. Um, it is a love story, but it is a weirdly, um, wild ride. Um, filled with punchline story. Uh, love story that um, has just remained a classic. Uh, the family, um, uh, as Ben said, uh, the family just like lives their, their usual lives, but there's a lot of nuances and you experience um, what it's like to grow older, what it like, what it's like to not go have um, life the way you expected and uh, you just watch this Italian American family kind of live in that moment. Something like that. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a really young Nicholas Cage is there. It's his breakout year. Uh, it's the same year as raising Arizona uh, in his twenties. Then Cher is I think 40 when she shoots this, but she's famous at 19. So has been famous for more than half of her life at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a very different vibe for her yes. than so, her singing career. There is a tendency for, you know, people who are as famous as Cher is or, you know, big diva types to sort of de-glam. And then that's their attempt at like winning an Oscar, right? It's like they de-glam, right? Um, and the the version of that in this movie is almost like a 2000s high school teen comedy thing where she just kind of has her hair pulled back for the first half of the movie. Yep. Um, but like, it's still Cher. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like um, Princess Diaries. A little bit, yeah. Kind of reminds me of that. A little bit, yeah. But she does have, they give her like some gray hairs and like yeah, she's kind of unibrow. just- Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is sort of just like, it's not so much that they're- ignoring that like this is obviously somebody who has you know megawatt star power um yeah. but it's sort of present the whole time that like yes that is a person that does that but like they're not interested in like rising to that level anymore they've kind of feel like they missed their shot at becoming whatever their ceiling was yeah um and so, yeah, like like you said, life not turning out the way you were expecting it to. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting way to play that transition. And it makes sense because she's not like an awkward teen. She's a like a she's woman. She's 37 years old. Yeah, right. Exactly. So like that would be weird. She's been married before. Her husband died about seven years ago they, yep. by, by the time this movie happens. Structurally, um, so John Patrick Shanley mentioned he's a playwright. Mentioned before, Celine's song, the way that movie is structured in like three very specific parts. This movie takes place on over very three, I think three very specific nights and the mornings after. Yep. Um, and is really cool. I just like when movies are contained and the narrative is just sort of happening. Me too. Like, like it picks up. Like it just like it just picks up wherever their lives were already at. Yep. And you and it just kind of unfolds. Yep. Yeah, I love stories like that. Yep. Um. And where we start is um in in a restaurant that we'll return to a couple times throughout the movie. The and only restaurant. The only restaurant in town, in the neighborhood, and uh, Danny Aiello is awkwardly trying to propose to. Uh, sure. I forgot all the character names. Johnny. John. Yeah. John. Johnny Camarari is trying to propose to Cher's character. Um, Loretta. Yep. I was like, huh? Uh, and yeah, he's just super awkward about it. He has like a three piece suit on. Um, you know, he's kind of sweating. He keeps like scratching his scalp. Um, as one of the waiters said, like he's been a bachelor customer for like 20 years at that restaurant and clearly like there's not a lot of like romance in the relationship but it's just a relationship that probably just feels comfortable for the two of them um and it's funny that like he 
they're having dinner before he has to go to Italy because his mother is dying. And um, Loretta is already like, don't eat the oily fish. You got, you know, can't be sick in the plane, like already kind of bossing him around. And he, you can tell it just has like no opinion for himself whatsoever. No. Um, People repeatedly call him a baby throughout the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so already like sets the stage up for like, kind of like a poor, like she's the one that like, as you were saying, it's funny, like she's the one that kind of like had a different life. You feel bad for her, but he's the one that like feels like the poor thing almost yeah. in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like she's still like kind of doing her thing. Um, So I, I always thought that dynamic was kind of interesting, but so yeah, so they, he proposes but like she already for but she forces him to go down on one knee. Like he didn't even think about that. Like no, he didn't have a ring. Didn't have a ring. She um, what are those rings called? With like the men's, uh, like, they they just refer to it as a pinky ring, pinky ring, yeah. signet ring, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just like the whole dynamic. Um, this is a good suit. Why am I gonna go down on my knee? Yeah. It's a good suit. And she's like, I bought the suit with you. It comes with two pairs of pants, like. Just like the, I love the, like the, the writing is just so quick and so sharp. Yep. Um, it's so simple. It really is. And then he goes off to the airport and, um, the plane gets cursed by an old lady cursed. who doesn't you know, believe in curses, but you know, Loretta doesn't. Yeah. But, yeah. and she, oh yeah, that's right. The old lady doesn't either. Yep. Um, it's all really good and sets the tone really early that everything is, um, it has a weird tone, I would say, not in a bad way, but just like it, everything is raised and a lot of people are going pretty big, um, but there still is like some naturalism is maybe the wrong word, but everyone is only like a couple percentage points more clever than they maybe would be in arguments. Yes. Yes, 100%. Um, and you, but this is all like a believable family unit, I would say. Yeah. Or in the, like, the relationships they have with each other. We haven't even talked about like the parents yet, but just saying like, you know, these people would all be related. Yep. And this is how they would talk to each other. Um, In the middle of all the people going big, I think Olympia Dukakis playing her, her mom, Rose, I want to say. Rose, yeah. Um, She's Ooh. awesome in this. She, um, I mean, besides Cher, I feel like she like, in Nicolas Cage, she like wins the show. Yeah. And um, she, literally she won yep. an, uh, an award for it. Um, she's won. I, it's my favorite. It's actually one of my favorite scenes where like Cher comes home. Her dad's like sleeping and yeah. like the whole, the whole thing's hysterical. She's like, you know, I have a, I like, I have an announcement. I have a surprise and dad is not even like jumping up and down being like, what is it? He's like, all right, we got, let's go find, go, let's go find your mother. So immediately, like, they go upstairs. Rose is already sleeping. And they wake up Rose. And the first thing she says is, who died? Yeah. Like, completely classic. And I feel like it's relatable because there was a time as a kid where, like, especially, like, I don't know, like, a kid with, like, parents involved in, like, choir or whatever, like, church choir. Like, there was always, like, an old person, like, passing away. So it felt super relatable, like like you were saying earlier, like death is always on their mind. Always. So yeah. of course that's the first thing she says. Yes. And she's the one who keeps bringing up death and, yeah. re and reminding men that they will die despite what they do. Today. Everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Vincent Gardini is playing her dad and is awesome. Yeah. He's just, he's also great. Very funny. Yeah. He's probably the most purely comic, but also one of the more tragic figures in the movie, too. Probably the most tragic. Yeah. I would say, but we'll get to that. Yes. When when all of the plot lines get resolved in the same scene at the end, I like his resolution where he stands up and slams the table and then just sits down and goes, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. Um the one thing that Danny Aiello, Johnny, asks her to do before they get married, before he gets back, is to call his brother, who they haven't spoken in five Ronnie. years because of their bad blood, Ronnie. Um, everything 
that Nick, all the Nick Cage stuff is, is awesome in this movie and so good. Um, I think it says so much about the character of Johnny that the bad blood that they have is very clearly not Johnny's fault. No, not at all. But yeah, you're expecting it to be like, oh, they had a disagreement over a woman or something. Or a girl was stolen or... And the way that when she finally meets up with Nick Cage, only almost a half hour into the movie, um, that story starts with him being like, he was about to get married and you're like, oh, this is going to be like a... And it's like, oh no. And then I was distracted and my hand got caught in a bread slicer. Yep. I lost my hand. It's like one of the best, most... Dramatic yeah. scenes of all He's time. My bride. Ah, Johnny. Wait, Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his pride. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Such such a ridiculous scene. Yep. And the the having like the um having like the wait staff in the back crying over it, like just like adds just going to so the big. Job. Everyone's just going big. Well, then, well, actually, even before that, it adds up to the bigness because Johnny calls Loretta in, from Italy with his like dying mother in the background. The who, scene is also hilarious, which is hilarious because look, Loretta even calls it out, being like, "The mom is just like big mouth, like quotations on her deathbed, but like is talking normally, like making weird, like sassy comments." And Loretta's even like. Yeah, um, she's on her deathbed, and I can hear her with her big mouth. So it's like, it's like setting up the scene for like the most traumatic scene, or like not traumatic, but like um, dramatic scene out of the whole movie with Nicolas Cage yelling about his losing his hand. So good, so good. Uh, I wish I actually got to watch your reaction to that scene because it's just so ridiculous yeah i just i mean i just love him right yelling chrissy get the big knife <laughs> it's really funny chrissy get the big knife and then i wouldn't say that this is like a one-to-one we were talking last episode about um pretty woman being sort of like early and that's even a few years after this that's 1990 and it's not quite in the exact rhythms of like the later in the nineties into the early thousands rom-coms. And, um, this movie also isn't really in those rhythms. And then also John Patrick Shanley doesn't really get boxed in by form anyway. Um, but that, not that whole scene, but that part of the scene, once the Nick Cage and, and Loretta both leave the room and then it goes back to Chrissy and that, that ends on like a very classic rom-com beat, where she's just like, says like, I love him, but I can't tell him. And I, Johnny, John, but he, so, but he doesn't know. There's something. It's, it's very funny. Johnny could never love me because he'll always love his girl. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. So then transitions to yep. Ronnie and Loretta Up going apartment. upstairs in the apartment where she just randomly, it feels like it's like 10 o'clock in the morning, randomly just makes a mistake and like buttered spaghetti. It's yep. like, okay, this is where we're at. Um, Begrudgingly admits that it's pretty good. Yep. And apartment is not at all what you expect. Nope. From listening like, to opera. Has pictures of Verity on his yeah. <laughs> Um. And they're talking about how he's a wolf. Yeah. She's was, not a wolf. Yeah. And then they're having sex within like five minutes after yep. yelling at each other. He for flips a while. the table over. Yep. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. It's good. It's just good. It's such, it's such a weird movie, but it, it's all really good. But you know what's funny too is um, I didn't, I never really noticed this until now, but it rarely has like any background noise or music during like those scenes. Only like when there's like a big, like dramatic scene, even then, like it didn't with Ronnie, like screaming about his hand. Um, but I think that's what kind of makes it like stark almost like a weird starkness is like, there's nothing covering it. It's just like, yeah. it's out there. Yeah. So they end up, like you said, it feels like that's at 10 AM, but then they wake up the next day after the, the, the crazy moon. There's 
one thing is it's it's even though there those two are definitely the stars of the movie, it is fairly evenly ensemble split between yeah. her, both of her parents doing things and then occasionally her aunt and her uncle in there too. Her grandfather and that like they talk about the big moon, yeah. which is why the whole movie's called Moonstruck. Yes. That sometimes there's a big moon that drives Italians insane. And, and like love struck like love yeah. struck. Which that's, there's like a whole that's like more of the point. There's yeah. like a whole scene about that at, at like a dinner with the parents and the um aunt and uncle while Loretta is in Ronnie's bed, like yeah. across town. Yes. Um, that is a very bright moon. It is a very bright moon. What, what For like multiple nights in a row. Yeah. La Luna. Yeah. And the grandfather just has like 12 dogs howling at it. Yep. He keeps trying to feed them pasta. Yep. So, so then move on to the next morning. Somehow Loretta wakes up the next morning and it's just like, what the F have I done? Yep. But she was not drunk the night before, like clearly in her right mind, but yeah. somehow the morning. It wasn't even, it was like midday the day before. <laughs> somehow the next day is when it struck her like, oh, this is I'm bad. engaged. Um, this is bad. This is bad. Yeah. Um, and then Ronnie's like, you ruined my life. Your life was ruined when I got here. You ruined my life. Um, he's already in love with her. She slaps him and says, snap out of it. Yep. That's a pretty famous line. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's really good. And and it's it's one of those things that gets pulled out into clips and, you know, sizzle reels at the Oscars and, 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 and stuff like that. But um, even in, you know, even in the context of the movie, it doesn't stand out a ton. It is like, no. like I said earlier, these are all things that you can imagine these people saying to each other. Like somewhere in the world, these people exist and, and, even though it does have that Gilmore Girls thing where everyone's just like just a bit more clever than they maybe would yeah. be, um, it's still all it, it still all works as believable people. I think totally. Um, so yeah, he invites her to go to the opera that night. He I want to take you to the opera. He only loves two things: her and opera. And if he could combine those things, then he'd gladly give up the rest of his life. I think he says. Yep. Spot on. And even though she knows it's a terrible idea, she agrees. And then there's. Um, Sort of the the subject of the Emily St. James, uh, not review, but essay that accompanies the Criterion edition is um, this makeover sequence that she goes through to get ready for the opera and how it um, ages well. It's, It's not even necessarily aging well because most of the makeover sequence, unlike pretty much every other movie that has one, happens just with Loretta, like in her room by herself, looking at herself in the mirror. And it's all like for her more. Yeah. And she spends Mm. more time with herself and the audience spends more time with her than usual before anyone else sees her. She's not like coming out and getting approval or whatever. Yeah. It's like dressing room from friends or from a man or anything. It's just like all for her. And she like, you know, turns into Cher and then goes to the opera. Big hair and <laughs> yeah. um, beautiful dress. Yeah, it's like a total Cher move. Um, I never thought of it that way. Like, because mm-hmm. there are- I some- hadn't either. This is a much smarter person than me that had that idea. <laughs> yeah, because like you do, like there are some scenes where she's like looking at herself in the mirror and you're like, and you're like, oh, okay, cool, cool. And like you move past it, but I never really put that yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. That the so, actual like clothes part of it, you see that she goes into the store and you assume she bought that dress, but she doesn't put it on until she's home by herself yep. in, her, in her room, like in the mirror. Porcelain, yeah, porcelain glass of wine, like candlelight and, and music playing, but still prepping for the opera. Yeah, and then yeah, it's that thing where like you know that's shared the whole time, but then it's like oh, okay, like her hair's big. It's not necessarily the style that I look for in women. I would say. <laughs> Because her hair but is like works. six feet wide. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. But yeah, obviously it works for her. It works for her. It's totally glamorous. So they go to the Met. They go to the Met where opera. she didn't know where it was. She didn't know where it was. She makes fun of one of the Marc Chagall uh, murals. 
Yeah, there. it's a little gaudy. It's a little gaudy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he was having fun, I think is what <laughs> exactly Ronnie it. says. Which is like a famous mural in the Met, still there. Um, they go see the famous um, La Boheme, which is performed like every, like around Christmas holiday-ish mm-hmm. at the Met. Um, and you like hear like soundtrack of the of La Boheme like playing throughout um yes used really really intentionally throughout the movie yeah um and so then actually pausing that yeah let's go back a little bit to the dad yeah because that's where like yes that's where the the because he's had a number of scenes with moma I wanna yeah say. so we catch him i don't know if his, her name's moma or i just have the word met stuck in my head and then thinking of like the Met and then the MoMA as New York we'll Army Sam's. But. Um, but yeah, so like we catch him like going back a little bit um, while like Loretta is oh, like getting, yeah, while she's getting her makeup done and like her hair or whatever. Her dad is a plumber, makes like a really good living. We kind of get those vibes from like their like their big house in Brooklyn. Um, we catch him with like a couple of customers and then the next scene is like him with this other woman that he's like pretty much seeing on the side who is like the total opposite of Rose. Like this girl's got like a push-up bra, like short hair, long nails, like very not glamorous, but we'll say glamorous for now. That style's in now, the mob wife style. Mob wife style, Very, very in right now. Um, who like so totally admires him, thinks he like says the greatest things, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so then, so clearly like he's having an affair. It costs money. It costs <laughs> money because it saves money. <laughs> Copper pipe, which is the only kind of pipe I use. And what they say. Yeah. Um, so then we're at the opera. And well, actually, p- pausing all this too is after before all before Loretta's makeover, she goes to church to confession, and her mom's Good in scene. the pews. Yeah. Um, and her mom like says like you know, um, like I think like dad's having an affair basically, and you know Loretta's like you're making it up, don't worry about it. So clearly like Rose's instincts are spot on. Yeah. He's having an affair. So Loretta has to make over. We're at the Met. And so while she's at the Met, her dad's also at the Met with this other woman. Mm-hmm. And Rose goes out to, that's the night she goes back to the restaurant? She goes back to, like, um, what is it, Grand Tatino or something like yeah. that, yeah. And ends up having dinner with, I think that actor's name is John Mahoney. Um, yeah, we haven't even touched that one. <laughs> yeah. Again, we got to pause and talk about that one. Why does he keep going back to the same restaurant? He has a he he has a routine. All these everyone has a routine. I guess I didn't. I never picked up on that. But this guy keeps. He's a professor. Keeps going out with his students and brings his student dates to the restaurant. And it's the same routine. He keeps getting splashed in the face because he's an he's a jerk. This is the second time in three nights that this has happened to him that we've seen. <laughs> that we've seen no one went to that restaurant on night two could have happened and he says the same thing where like you know the woman splashes like a martini or something in his face and he says you know what he's like i need you to cover up all evidence of her get rid of her and bring me a big glass of vodka same routine same routine yeah and yeah and that guy like it's funny because you're like is she gonna like yell at him or whatever it's like not really they don't who rose yeah yeah He's like, you're like, this guy obviously sucks and is very creepy. So creepy. But she's kind of like, at least there's someone to talk to, I guess. I think she's kind of like, honestly, I think she's kind of testing out the waters of like. Yes. I think it is like an interesting conversation for her to be like, okay, here's the kind of guy who sucks. What what, ma- what makes men suck? Yeah. I think it's an experiment for her. Of this, like, is, this guy is an expert on why men suck. Exactly. <laughs> so then like, so growing up for me. This like her lines were always like the repeats of like mm. why do men chase women and like professors like oh you know just kind of goes on a whole thing and she's like I think it's because they fear death so like 
um, it's like always stuck with us because um, I think it's just absolutely hilarious. And then it dives into it later um, towards the end of the movie. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Professor like tries to make moves on her, like gives her the weird like cheek kisses. And she's like, I'm too old for you. Yeah. So she she definitely like. I think it's just experimenting. And she runs into uh, Cosmo's dad while she's out there. The grandpa of the, the grandpa. House. Who's like the He's real chill. winner. He's yeah. the real winner He's of chill. the whole family. He's discreet. <laughs> he gets it. <clears throat> Living his best life, I swear. Yeah, just walking his eight dogs at seemingly midnight. Yeah. La Luna, woo! <laughs> um, and... There's uh, th- th- that was a good time to break because there's an act break in the play, in the play, in the opera, Fine. and uh, they're out there, and she's not really into it yet. And so I'm thinking of yeah, we did Pretty Woman last week, and they go to see uh, La Traviata, yeah, and before it starts, Richard Gere goes, the first time you see opera, you either fall in love with it and you're in love with it forever. Or you don't, and you like you can learn to like it more, but you'll ne- it'll never actually be part of your soul. It's pretty um, accurate. And uh, so she's not, she's like, I'm like, it's not part of her soul. It's not. It's just she's just not feeling it. But then when they go back in there and they're watching it, and they, she sort of again referring to that essay because they put it better than I could. She falls in love with opera and Ronnie at the same time. Yeah, pretty much. And that seems awesome. <laughs> it totally is. Well, I mean, part of it, I think, is like the timing of Lava One because it's the third act. And so, like, the character she's watching that's singing, like, has um, tuberculosis, is like clearly dying, like, wants, like, misses the love of her life. Like, things are just like not going well in, in act three. And then act four, as Cher, Cher, as Cher's character says, like, she dies. And Lava, there's like a reason why people like fall in love with the opera. It is like, it's like La Traviata. It's like, you're like, I think it's like, it's a, it was an opportunity for her to like see something that just had so much meaning. And like Ronnie was like opening up to her and like allowing her to see that. So I think that's why it's like pretty prominent that like she falls in love with them both at the same time. Yeah. That's a really interesting reading. I, I think it's like, yeah, this sort of exchange of understanding of like, yeah, this guy seems sort of not necessarily like like a meathead, but like definitely like kind of a wild sort of hothead on the surface. Yeah. Um, but then there's obviously like some depth there and some other uh, things going on. Totally. Um, Which kind of has moments of that in the opera too. So that's why it's like kind of an interesting parallel but yeah. they don't really dive into the opera so too much is like you got to know it yeah a little but you just got to know that it's really like yeah that it's meaningful and then she dies at the end and like that's that yes um and then it's uh, i mean it's conveyed really well that you don't notice that like you can see the shot of Cher where you can tell her eyes are like welling up but it's not until she turns her head to look at Ronnie that you see that like tears have been streaming yeah. down her face oh such a good um, such a good scene it's really scene. good and then they like slowly touch hands or whatever and it's, it's just really hot I don't know um, and yeah it's it's great they like you know it's a wonderful depiction of just connection exactly uh, exactly and yeah yeah good way of putting that Ben but on the way out, after they have that like great moment together, well, first she says that was awful, and it's like what? Like, oh, she died. She <laughs> That's it. She died. She was hacking. Yep. And then they bump into her dad in the lobby with the other woman, yeah. and yeah, then yeah, her dad's like, I didn't see you. Yeah. Like I didn't see you. Um, yep, because they're both they both shouldn't be there with the people they're there with. Yeah, and they're both calling each other out on it. Um, and it's a, another moment of uh, you understand, like both of her parents are seeing in her, you know, a lot of opportunities to either like to sort of turn into the versions of them that they don't like so much. Yeah, <laughs> that they have like you know 
anxiousness about that isn't, you know, mentioned my big fat Greek wedding owes a lot to this movie. It doesn't have that depth going on. No, <laughs> no, it, no, it definitely doesn't. It doesn't, um, it doesn't have like three dimensional characters. It goes like in a different, I guess a different area of depth, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> it's sort of, um, yeah. So then Ronnie like tries to like cheer her up, takes her out to dinner or like drinks or whatever. And uh, it's just like not yeah, happening. She's, she's just over it. Just totally over it. So then while this is all going on, Rose is back at home after her um, evening out, and Johnny shows up um, back from Italy. His mother did not die. Uh, it was a miracle. He, um, as he says, she like gets up and starts cooking for the whole house, the mourners and for him. Um, and he doesn't it's very vague you know he just says like i need to talk to loretta like i need to talk to loretta and um you know you're just assuming like all right it's time for the wedding now like he's come back you know time to get married so but loretta does not go home that night she goes back to to Ronnie's apartment even though she didn't realize that she was walking towards the apartment the whole time she pretty much was like mad at Ronnie because she thought that like once they saw the opera like he would leave her alone and he's like nope sorry this is it (laughs) I'm not gonna leave you alone just get upstairs and get in my bed yeah and uh I mean the the speech he gives her that ends in that which works um is great it has it's like classic love yeah 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 i think the 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 fleabag speech that the the hot priest says like you know love is the worst is that hot priest speech from fleabag that people are always putting in instagram reels feels like it owes a lot to this too um except it doesn't end that way right that one ends on like an upbeat um (laughs) but yeah uh we're here to ruin ourselves and to break our hearts and love the wrong people and die. Yeah. Uh, the storybooks <laughs> are bullshit. Now I want <laughs> yeah. you to come upstairs with me and get in my bed. Yeah. It's just good. Uh, yeah. Love don't make things nice. It ruins everything. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. which, I mean, I mean he's it's right. They're both accurate. very messy. <laughs> he's, ha- he's right. I mean, like that was like another interesting thing about it, about the story is like, love is not clean and easy it's messy and it completely changes your life and it can be complicated um but you gotta go with it yeah pretty much and so she does yeah yeah she's been sort of like you know it's a it's a big night for her she's sort of like you know allowing herself to be sort of alive again in a way that you think she probably has been tamping down yeah, with much totally. effort. And like, this guy is weird and strange, but is exciting. And she hasn't yeah. been excited for quite a while. Well, yeah. Well, and I, part of it, that's the reason why I think too, because this was another theme is that she thinks that she had like a, why she kept like pushing it down to is that she thinks she has bad luck Yeah, because like she got married in like the courthouse, her husband got hit by a bus. So like clearly she has bad luck and now everything has to be right or in just yeah. so. But I think Ronnie kind of like showed her like it's not a matter of luck. It's just yeah, like life. It should be messy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then that culminates in the, uh, the morning after where every – Plot line sort of converges around a breakfast table. Which is the best part around bowls of oatmeal. Around bowls of oatmeal. <laughs> every uh, every character who has had more than two lines in this movie, besides that weird professor, comes to breakfast. And it's it's all really funny and ties up really neatly, but not overly neatly. Like you can kind of get you know, it's like, oh, Danny Aiello should be more mad at them. It's like, yeah, maybe, but it's sort of just like, works. You know, it's fine. He's he's kind of just like, yeah, life is weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good attitude to have for totally. a guy like that. Totally. Um, but anyway, the news in town, like you already mentioned, the night before he came by, and we're so Rose knows he's back in town, and um, 
when Loretta gets back, which after a great the morning shot when she's leaving and it's that sort of like in between she's kicking the can down the street. It's that great like early morning. The city hasn't really woken up yet. Yeah. Kind of moment in time. And she looks so at peace. Yes. It's great. And then she gets home and finds out he came, Johnny came back much earlier than anticipated. Yep. And she's got a love bite on her neck. Yep. And uh, then everyone starts showing up. Dad. Yeah. Dad came, comes back. Oh, yeah. And then my, this is one of the best parts, too, is that to the whole time when like Loretta like announced that she was engaged, the dad was like, I'm not paying for your wedding, even though like he could totally afford it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that the grand like clearly like we're so past the idea of the wedding at this point because so much has happened like to yeah. the audience. That, yeah. And the grandfather comes back and he's like, son, I must speak. I don't say much, but I must speak. You must pay for your daughter's wedding. <laughs> and he's like, OK, pop. Yeah, and you're good. like, all right, cool. We're st- still at this. Yeah, Nick Cage pops in. She looks at his collar, says, "You got a love bite on your neck too." Yep. Uh, your mom recovered from death. He goes, "We're not very close, so I'm not very moved," or whatever he says to that effect. Um, and then they have like a weird conversation where he eats oatmeal. Just and I like how the parents are just like rolling with him being there. They're like, "Yeah, he's here too. Sure, why not?" Yeah, well, the icon, like again, no music, no like background noise, nothing. It is the clear, yep. awkward. It's very funny. You can, family you can, moment. Um, you can see this whole scene working really well on stage. Yes, with just totally. this, just the silences being the comedic beats and like the eye contact, like the eye yeah. movements of so many of them, like just like scanning the room share, just like rolling her eyes at yeah. certain moments being like, what the fuck is going on right now? Uh, the aunt and uncle show up and they're, they're all, they all freak out cause they think it's Johnny and she's like, I'll, I'll go. And this is after we already described um, when Rose asked him to stop seeing that woman. And yep. Yeah, you know, which to me honestly is actually such a beautiful scene. Um, yeah, I mean that's like, that's that's like why Olympia Dukakis wins the Oscar, probably. Yeah, is the way she plays it. Well, and even like even him too being like he gets um, nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, because like you can like it's the first time you you feel for him because he feels like his life is like worth nothing. So he was again chasing something, and it kind of validates like Rose's point of like, like men are afraid of death. So like they're chasing after something and he like validated it being yeah. like, yeah, my life's worth nothing, you know, and seeing her just like well up was, it's like such a moving yeah, scene. It's, it's such a shitty thing to say. But, yeah. And then she like immediately like makes him feel terrible probably about it. It's like, he's like, well in this context, yeah, that's, 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 it's really nice. Yeah. Um, so aunt and uncle show up. <laughs> yep. I love, they just kind of stand there. They get coffee, they get oatmeal and they get one. I forget if it's, they forget you know, the she uncle goes, deposit, like, like their money. It's so, yes. like they're worried about that, but yeah. Like, but then they're just, just kind of standing there. I think I forget which one goes. So what are we doing? <laughs> We're waiting. waiting. We're waiting. Waiting for what? Johnny Camarari. And my, <laughs> the best part is like, so the aunt, like, so Johnny's like at the door or Ronnie's at the door. No, Johnny's at the door and the aunt goes and gets him and she walks back into the kitchen and she goes, it's Johnny Camarari. Yeah. And here come and here comes Johnny. Just um, like once again, the biggest goofball ever. Yeah. Being like, hey, Ronnie, yeah, can you have you peace with me? <laughs> can you like, oh, uh, yes, but also... Um, and before then, they can like admit, you know, what they've done that's bad for to him, he says, "I can't marry you because my mother will die." But then, but then she gets mad. Loretta's like, "What? Yeah, you made a promise to me." Yeah, and Ronnie's like, "Hey, whoa, whoa, wait, yeah, what are you doing? Wait, what are you doing?" Yeah. Um. But yeah, it totally ends up uh, fine. But then Ronnie, so then. Johnny asks for the ring back <laughs> and Ronnie um, proposes like within two seconds and is like, Hey Johnny, can I have the ring? Yeah. A very, um, I mean, this is bookending the movie, so it's not that difficult 
to be like, oh, this is setting up an obvious parallel. She doesn't care that he's not kneeling or doesn't have his own ring. Right. Because she actually loves him. Exactly. Um, that it also bookending, Olivia Dukak is asking, do you love him? And her going, uh, I think. I love him awful. She goes, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Great luck. My love him awful. That's too bad. But then but then the best part is the grandfather's crying and you're like, oh my goodness, he's crying of joy. And he's like, line. Oh, I'm so confused. I'm confused. <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah, guys was like, What's wrong, Bob? He goes, I'm confused. <laughs> it's a great it's so funny. <laughs> oh my god, it's my favorite part. Um then they're popping some champagne. Throwing some sugar cubes in the champagne. Yeah, get fizzy. Um and Danny Aiello is just sort of sitting in the background, like, oh, this sucks. And then the grandfather comes over. He's your like, family. Your brother's get, got engaged. You have to celebrate. You're part of the family. He's like, oh, okay. And then he kind of just like, he, 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 by the end, he gets into it. He, to family. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And then um, Vin Diesel shows up. He says, salute to Amy Familia. <laughs> And then, like, and then I love Coronas. how like they like take the camera like slowly out of the kitchen. Yeah. They kind of like go through the house in the dark a little, and then they just like land on probably like the ancestors that like came yes. to America. That kitchen is so brightly lit, and the rest of the house is so dark all the time. <laughs> just all the sudden, more the binaries. That's from the essay, also. Oh. Um, but yes, ending on the who you imagine is the people who brought the uh, the their their you know family name to to yeah. America. And, and then it's their weird family photo <laughs> that Danny Aiello is very prominent in, which is yep. even funnier. Uh, mm. yeah. Good stuff. Weird movie, but great. I forget that it would be a weird movie if you've seen it for the first time. I No, I loved it, though. Um, so funny. Um, like, like I said before, it doesn't necessarily fit into the rhythms of what you'd call the kind of romantic comedies that you'd figure I'd celebrate during this themed month that I haven't any of the three that we've done aren't really yeah why did you pick Moonstruck it's just because there's so many yeah I just wanted to do it cool <laughs> wanted wanted to or I could say it's something like well we did like maybe we're just doing like these huge stars of the last 20 years, 30, 40 years, where there were the breakout roles. So this is, you get Nick Cage in this one. We got Julia yeah. Roberts and Pretty Woman. But there's no there's no rhyme or reason. It's just, you know, it's all vibes. True. Well, like to, to your point though, it's just like, it's not your typical romantic comedy no. compared to like all the others that like you've done, you know, in the, in yeah. the month or even just like the spectrum of them. Um, it doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't say it really fits into any one category though, as much as it fits into anything, it is maybe a comedic romance movie. Probably. Yeah. But it does have a lot of rom-com beats and like the, the instant attraction and like they have sex pretty early in the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's good. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff. Um, you want to get into ratings? Yeah. Sure. Cool. Uh, on a scale of 0.5 to 5 on any scale of your choosing, going up by halves, any scale besides stars, what would you give Moonstruck? Five M&M's. Why M&M's? <laughs> um, well... So I really wanted to do stars because right now I see stars in my visual, but you can't do stars. And mm -hmm. I there you go. don't know. I was counting M&Ms with my daughter earlier and, I mean, and they're delicious. Yeah. So M&Ms. Like M&Ms. Um, for me, it's four and a half out of five big knives. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Four and a half, so that's a really, that's actually like a really good Chris, Chris, Chrissy can go get four and a half big knives. Yeah. Because um, I'm going to slit my own throat. I want you to watch it. <laughs> uh, four and a half times. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe up to a five. I, I'm an easy grader. I'll say it's five big knives. Yeah. And I was about to, and I was about to change it to four and a half. I, I think four and a half is appropriate though because it is not your typical... I like I like form breaking. It's not formulaic really that much at all. It has a lot of beats that are in common with other things, but that's not necessarily at the same time. The the pacing within each scene 
is atypical. It's a lot more like stage kind of stuff because it it's, it's stage very production at all. I don't know. It could be pretty easily, but the scenes are very long and each has sort of like an arc that happens in that scene. It's not really yeah. quick. It's not really they're here, then they're there. And then it's like how most movies are made. Not even like a nowadays thing. Even then, that's how most movies are made. But the scenes go on really long and there's a lot of dialogue. And you could probably like when it, regarding the scenes themselves, I mean, the Met would be kind of a challenging one, maybe. But realistically, you're looking at four four backdrops where it could be like around like the, oh, sure, yeah. like the turntable like stage because it's the house, the restaurant, his right. his apartment. Yeah. Maybe like a store or two and then the Met. So like, yeah, and the uh, sorry, I made you yawn at the mic, but I just kind of happened. No. Um, uh, I think you're you. I, I checked. You hit the end credits before a hundred minutes. It's like an hour thirty nine and a half minutes. And so it's really this is a perfect length for a it movie. goes by fast. All of John Carpenter's best movies are an hour forty. So I I, I always think an hour forty is the perfect length for a movie. Yeah, because I mean, with this movie, interest, if it went any longer, it would have been like not, it would have been dragging. Yeah, for sure. It's very zippy. There's there's like nothing that you'd be like, oh, that scene didn't need to be there. Like it all needs to be there. Even yeah, maybe some of the stuff with the aunt and uncle, I guess, is maybe what you could take out. But you could, they're the least vital of the main crew. But. But they add to it, so yeah, and he's and he's the one that explains why the name of the movie is what it is. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, I liked this a lot. I'm glad you did. Thanks for yep. thanks for watching it. Absolutely. So we thread a common question on theme for the month through each of them. This month, rom com month strikes back. The question has been taking any actor from any era. And any version of that actor, so you can say like a young version of this person and an old version of that person, cast the perfect rom-com. Oh, God. This is so hard. For some reason, in the Groundhog Day uh, Part 2 episode, we thought the best option was Channing Tatum and 80s Demi Moore. We also said like could see that. Then we got around to like current Leo and current Adam Driver for some reason was the pick last week. Mm. Adam Driver would be an interesting choice. Yeah. So just have them do marriage story, but now it's funny. Yeah, exactly. I, that would be a Adam Driver. I would have never thought of that, but that's a that's a solid one. Yeah. I don't know. He's very funny in girls as a as a romantic interest of the main character. I have not seen it. It's a good show. Good to know. <laughs> I'll have to try. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I honestly think of Chris Evans immediately, but like a younger Chris Evans. Okay. The old Fantastic Four era Chris Evans. Probably. Yeah. I would recast him in Moonstruck or just any rom-com. Any, you're, you're going to make a rom-com and you're starting with the leads. All right, yeah, definitely, definitely Chris Evans. I think it's because I actually remember, um, I think of Chris Evans a lot because of the Nanny Diaries. I don't know why, but like it sticks out in my brain. All right, all right, Chris Evans. But then, female. Uh, my pitch: young Chris Evans, Nanny Diaries, young Chris Pine, Princess Diaries Two. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. That's another one. So there you go. Yeah, totally. Those two. Just them. Yeah, it's fine. Just them. They'll figure it there's, out. Oh, yeah, there's also another one. Um, he was in, he's British. Just, th just throwing that in there. Okay. All right. Um, hold All on. Right. Um, Is it a British guy named Chris? He was in Downton Abbey. No, Matthew. I was thinking Matthew Crowley. That's Dan Stevens. Matthew Good. Okay. A young Matthew that. Good, too. Seen that guy. I love him. All right. So then. So there's three boys in this one. That's fine. You can do that. And then Lily James. I do like Lily James. I love though. Lily James. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to stick with that. Cool. 
Cool. All right. Well, then our work's here is done. Uh, thank you for liking this movie so much that I wanted to do it. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, yeah. Gotta hap- watch it like yearly. Good. Yeah. Happy to have an occasion to do this one. Um, coming up next, I'm either going to, it, it depends. Some people are on vacation or sick. We might get another Rob comment before we switch to Oscars. If not, I think I have the lineup pretty much set at least in some order. I know three of the movies we'll do is our past lives, Oppenheimer and Barbie, mm. because I don't know, it's fun when people listen and they like those shows. So. <laughs> um, and past lives, enough of us really, really love that we're going to talk about that one. I think on the next episode, or at least the first Oscars episode, and we'll also have the ladies and the voting for the ladies will open this Friday, March 1st. So I hope I put that Google doc together in the next few days Yeah, because the Oscars are the 10th this year. So it's coming up. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to do one more Oscar nominee aside from the three I mentioned, but the ladies will come probably after the Oscars and we'll try not to be too influenced by the outcome of those awards. We'll see what happens. Perfect. Anyway, thanks Martha. Thank you. This was fun. Uh, you can find our stuff on Linktree, linktr.ee slash late to the movies and uh, tune in next time for, I actually don't know what's coming next specifically. Keep on your toes. It's probably past lives. Perfect. Anyway, see you then. Bye. <laughs>